0: Uh, open up your Bibles, uh, seriously, do it, or your uh, Bible apps, and uh, check out Luke 8. Luke 8, and you're going to need them, so I would say, I would say, you know, just, yeah, open those up. I'll go ahead and read Luke 8, 1 through 3. It says this, uh, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women, who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chizah, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping support them out of their own means. Now here's what I want you to do. Uh, Even if you don't have your Bibles with you, uh, how many people know that when you open up a Bible and you open up to a chapter, you'll see these little subtitles, right? The subtitles in your Bible. Raise your hand if you know about those subtitles, right? Good. Okay, now, in Luke 8, there's some really interesting subtitles. Okay, what are some of the interesting subtitles in Luke 8? You can just shop them out if you see them on your phone or in your Bible. The parable of the sower. The The parable of the sower. One of Jesus' most uh, famous parables, parable of the sower. What else? Scroll Luke 8, go through it. Come on, don't be shy. Don't be shy. A lamp on a stand. stand. Yeah, that one's kind of boring. Lamp on a stand, that one's there. Um, What else? What else? Actually, it's a really good message if you, yeah. (laughs) Anybody else? There's a couple of good ones towards the end. Jesus restores a demon-possessed man. That's a good one, right? Jesus restores a demon. My favorite one in Luke 8 is Jesus calms a storm. Like, that's a really good one, right? So here's the thing. Here's why I bring this up. Because when you read Luke 8, 1 through 3, in most translations, it doesn't even get a subtitle. Right? It doesn't get that. In fact, if I'm reading the NIV, the, the, the subtitle for, for Luke 8, 1 through 3, it's Parable of the Sower. It's almost like they're just going right over this passage, right? This passage is its the credits before the movie starts. You know what I mean? That's what this passage is. And yet, I say this all the time, when you dig right below the surface of Scripture, when you dig right below, when you get into the context and culture, you get some really good stuff, some really life-changing stuff here. You get a lot of political and social implications. It's pretty exciting. Um, and then we get this really, really fascinating story of a woman who I believe challenges our faith and especially challenges our faith today. And so I want to talk about this. And the last thing I'll say, is there anybody like me, y'all like does anybody like TMZ or Us Weekly? Anybody like that? It's the last service it was just me too. It's like a terrible thing that I do. Yeah, good, good. Well, we can all be voyeurs together. It's wonderful. Um, But here's the thing this passage is a TMZ passage. Like, if if TMZ was around 2,000 years ago, they'd be all over this. And so I'm gonna talk about it. You ready to talk about it? You ready to talk about this? Good. First things first, we gotta know this Jesus rolled deep. He rolled really deep. Okay? You know what the Greek word for people who travel with you is? Squad. No, it's posse. The Greek word for people who travel with you is posse. So literally, when you're reading the first century Greek, it says, Jesus' posse was. Isn't that fantastic? We could stop the message right there. It's fantastic. And so it's the 12. Now, why is the 12, why are the 12 such a big deal? Well, back in the day, um, back in the day, when Israel was this really strong and mighty nation, and they were independent, and nobody nobody, uh, was ruling them, um, they were made up of tribes. Guess how many tribes they were made up of? 12, right, so for us it doesn't mean a whole lot now we're like oh 12 disciples, great for anybody reading this 100 years ago or 100 years after Jesus they would have been like whoa that's sort of like a big like, punch in the gut to the Roman Empire they want you to know that Jesus' ministry is as strong and as wonderful and as independent and as great as Israel was when Israel was in its prime that's what they're trying to tell you here Okay, so that in itself is interesting am I right? maybe just to me? okay, it's interesting though uh, let's keep going There's a bunch of women that get talked about, and I love this, all right? A lot of women get talked about in this passage. You have Mary Magdalene, you have Susanna, you have Joanna. And I'm going to talk about them here very soon. But here's the deal. Have you ever wondered who bankrolled Jesus' ministry? Have you ever wondered? Have you ever wondered, like, when they go out to a restaurant, who picked up the tab? (laughs) Have you wondered that? Yeah, every day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was these women, especially Joanna, who we're going to talk about. So these women were bankrolling Jesus' ministry. Not only were they bankrolling the ministry, they were preaching on behalf of Jesus. This was happening, okay? Why is Luke telling us this? Because Luke wants us to know that Jesus' ministry is far more inclusive than anything that had ever been seen at that time. So it was completely common for women to travel with their husbands. What was uncommon was for women to be named on their own. And yet that's what's happening here. All right, so quick lesson, quick quick aside. Can we stop with the nonsense that women can't teach and preach and all the rest? Can we stop with that nonsense? Okay, let's stop with that nonsense. When somebody tells you the Bible clearly says, go, I know, Luke 8, 1 through 3, Bible clearly says women are <laughs> preachers and teachers and bankrollers. Yeah, word. And then shut them up and let's move on and let's continue to say women have equity, right? Let's continue to do that. And we could stop the message right there if we wanted to, right? But we're not going to because we're going to get to the good part. We're going to get to the TMZ part, all right? Uh, I want to read it. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chuza, the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna and many others. Now, uh, what's interesting is that most scholars, theologians, I could not find any info on Susanna, and nobody really knows who she is. Interesting. Joanna, on the other hand, And Mary Magdalene, on the other hand, the only way that I can get you to understand sort of the drama and the irony and the weirdness of this passage is if I put it in like a modern day context, Okay, So I'm going to read it to you like we might read it in modern day. Um, The 12 are with him. Also, some people have been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Stormy Daniels, who roamed to prominence as exposing the president. And Brian Sanders, husband of Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the manager of Trump's household. That's how you would read it now. Do we see that that's kind of scandalous? Do we get that because Joanna is the wife of Chuzah? Who's Chuzza? The right-hand man to Herod. Who's Herod? The leader of Jerusalem at that time, right? And Mary Magdalene has a bit of a reputation, okay? But is also super smart and exposes people for who they are and is like really kind of uh, someone who, who um, you know, is admirable in a lot of ways, right? That's sort of Stormy Daniels, Mary Magdalene connection. But do you see why they don't belong together at all? Do we get that? They don't belong together. They're doing two different things, right? One is part of a revolution. The other one is a wife of the patriarchy, a wife of the powerful, a wife of the person that, uh, that, that espouses a certain belief uh, and, and keeps the oppressed oppressed and keeps the poor poor, right? They don't belong together. Why is Joanna with them? Ooh, let's talk about that, shall we? Yeah. There's this guy, Herod, and he leads Jerusalem. Herod had a father. You know what Herod's father's name was? It was Herod. (laughs) Herod's father's name was Herod. And so that first Herod uh, was so incredibly rich that that Herod built aqueducts uh, in Jerusalem that are still working to this day. That's impressive, right? Uh, When archaeologists dig up that Herod's uh, mansion, that mansion is still intact 2,000 years later. Can you imagine the amount of money you could put into something to have it be intact 2,000 years later? That's how rich he was. And he passes that down to his three sons, one of whom is named Herod, and this Herod now rules over Jerusalem, okay? Now this Herod is rich and powerful and has a lot of sway in the Roman Empire. And who is his right-hand man? Chuzza. Which means Chuzza is also rich. It means Chuzza also has a lot of sway. It means Chuzza also um, talks, uh, you, know, has a, um, you know, is important, an important part of the Roman Empire. And who is Chuzza's wife? Joanna. Which means Joanna is rich, and Joanna has a lot of sway, and Joanna has important things to say in the empire. And who is Joanna hanging out with? She's hanging out with the 12, right? That's who she's hanging out with. Um, Matthew was a tax collector. If you were here last week, I talked all about tax collectors. They're not liked by anybody, right? Just hanging out with, with fishermen, who I just read this this week, and it was interesting to me. Do you know, like, the disciples that were fishermen were probably in their late teens, early 20s? Don't we always think of them as much older? Yeah, me too. I just thought that was interesting. Um, but then the big one, the sons of, of, of thunder, James and John, disciples. They were literal jihadists. And as literal jihadists, you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to kill, and not just like kill, violently kill Herod and people in the Roman Empire and Joanna's husband, Chuzza, right? And she's hanging out with them. Again, do we feel the TMZ? Do we feel it? (laughs) Do we feel like this doesn't make any sense? Why is she with them? She has everything. Money, mansions, power, authority, all of it. And she's like, you know, the money, mansions, power, authority, everything that I have... It's for my benefit, and guess what, I'm pretty comfortable. In fact, I feel pretty good. But yet, I'm hanging out with this crew, and this crew is nonviolent, and this crew is about solidarity, and this crew is not about oppressing the marginalized, but lifting the marginalized up, and it's not about keeping the poor powerless, but uplifting the poor so that they have more. And she puts her hat in that ring. In fact, she gives up a comfortable way of living for the greater good of the kingdom. That is what she does. What's interesting about this? What's interesting about who she is um, is that Herod w- heard about Jesus, and Herod was like, "Oh my gosh, we can't let the poor, we can't let them, um, you know, revolt because if they revolt, they're going to overthrow me and they're going to put us in jeopardy." Who's who's funding this whole thing? Who's funding the Jesus thing? And you know who Herod asks? He asked the religious. <laughs> he asked the Pharisees. He asked the pastors. He asked the bishops. Those people, because those people were super comfortable. You know why they were super comfortable? They didn't try to mess with the empire, and the empire gave them stuff in return. A comfortable Christianity. Anybody familiar with a comfortable Christianity? Yeah. So they asked them. The Pharisees say, Herod, what we're about to tell you, you're not going to like. It turns out that your right-hand man, his wife, is actually funding this thing. And not only is she funding it, she's funding it with basically your money. So nice job. And, uh, and so Herod has a very distinct message. It's very clear. And this is the message. I'll read it for you. Uh, he says, okay, Pharisees, tell Jesus this. So the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they say, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Doesn't get any more overt than that, right? It doesn't. And so you have to imagine at this time, Jesus gets his posse together, right? And they're all like, I'm, we're, I'm gonna, he's like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die at this point. If we keep doing this, this is not going to look good for any of us. Okay, we're getting into something that, that we're getting into a battle that we cannot politically win, and so Joanna has a choice to make, right? She's like, "Well, I have a really comfortable spot. I can go back to if I need to. I have that." And so what happens? Well, Jesus gives an answer. This is the answer that Jesus gives. Go tell that fox I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. By the way, remember we read Luke eight one through three. What did it say about the women? The women were like, what, healed from demons? So he's talking about the women. He's saying, tell that fox, I'm going to keep my crew. I'm going to keep my posse. We're going to keep going. And I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today, tomorrow, and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. This is good stuff. Now, in the Roman Empire, I've said this before, it's worth saying again. When you thought somebody was a poser, or you thought somebody was an imposter, or you thought somebody was a hack, do you know what you called them? Take a guess. Say aloud. You called him a fox. Interesting, right? Jesus is calling a name, and it's a very specific name. Hey, you tell that imposter, you tell that poser. That this kingdom, this kingdom that he has, that's not the real kingdom. He might think it's the real kingdom because he's wealthy and he's powerful and he's got a lot going for him. No, no, it's my kingdom. So we're going to keep doing what we're doing because this is the kingdom that wins the day. And at the end of the day, there's a line drawn in the sand and Joanna is on the side of Jesus. She stands on the other side, once again, giving something up so that others are lifted up. Giving something up so that the kingdom of God comes to this place. That's what she's doing. And what happens? Well, Jesus is killed. Always important to remember that Jesus was not killed by really bad people and, you know, thieves and robbers. Jesus was killed by the religious who were comfortable. Let's be reminded that Jesus was killed by the people who were like, you're going down a slippery slope, Jesus. <laughs> Those people, that's who he was killed by. And what happens? Well, let's read. The women, for, who, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. And then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. The woman from Galilee, that's Joanna. She was there when Jesus died. She stuck through to the end, even if it meant that she was losing her status permanently. What are we giving up so that others get ahead? It's a good question. Here's what I love, though. Let's read it. On the first day of the week, early in the morning, the woman took spices they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and the mother of James. Joanna, the first evangelist in history. Amazing, right? She's the first preacher. She's the one that runs back with Mary Magdalene and all the rest to tell the eleven that Jesus is alive. Amazing! You know what else about her? Most scholars believe that she was at Pentecost preaching when Pentecost happened with Peter and Tongues of Fire, for those of you who know. In Romans, Paul calls out an incredible woman of God, and her name's Junia. You know what Junia means? Take a wild guess. It's Joanna. Just a Greek translation. This is a woman who decided she was going to give something up and changes the course of history as an evangelist. And I'm going to let this, this writer finish, named Stephanie Catmall. She says this, Joanna's conversion was genuine. Her love for Jesus was deep and unequaled. Her stewardship was faithful and uncompromising. Impossibly and leaving a wealthy lifestyle to accompany the illiterate men and an itinerant lifestyle was the hallmark of Joanna's dedication to the man who healed her. Saved her. Gave her the grace and power to become one of the most powerful disciples and evangelists the world has ever known. Two lines in the Bible are accredited to Joanna, but her life speaks volumes. Luke 8, 1 through 3. Deserves more than a subtitle, right? Deserves its own book. Somebody get to writing it. (laughs) What am I giving up? What are we giving up? It's really interesting. I, I think I've been challenged by that. You know, in 2009, I got into ministry. In 2011... I got asked to preach at this church planning conference, and I got asked to preach on diversity, um, which I had zero business doing whatsoever. But we all should have the confidence of a mediocre white man, right? So I said yes. <coughs> and I said yes to this. And, uh, and I, you know, I had, again, I, had no, I, I didn't know what diversity was. I, didn't, you know, I had no idea. And I'll never forget afterwards, a, a woman came up to me. She was an older woman, she was a black woman. And she came up to me, she said, Thank you. And she was being friendly. And she said, But I, I want to tell you something. She said, Whenever I walk into space, especially religious spaces, I have to give something up. She said, sometimes I'm giving up a part of me, I'm code switching. She said, other times I'm giving up the way I really, truly want to worship. Sometimes I just recognize that I'm not in the majority, but I'm giving something up. And the reason I'm giving something up is because there's something important happening in the church that I go to and in this movement, and it's not right, but i got to ask you, Pastor. She says, you, what are you giving up? What's making you uncomfortable when you think about faith? And that changed my life. That absolutely changed my life. Because the truth of the matter is we can talk all day. So people in my position, we can talk all day. And we can talk all day about, about what it means to, to do things for the gospel and about what it means to, um, to work for anti-racism and what it means uh, to be affirming of all people. We could talk about that all day long. But the truth is I have every opportunity to just sit there and be comfortable like Joanna, I have a choice, and I can always choose to go back into the walls of Jerusalem, back to the Four Seasons instead of the Econo Lodge, which is where they were staying. <laughs> it's biblical. And so I thought about that. Are we giving up for the sake of the gospel? And for me, I cannot for the life of me. I cannot, I cannot, there's no disconnect between the oppression of the poor and the marginalized and, and, and ethnic people versus the gospel message. And so when you hear things like Black Lives Matter, that is, inc- that is part of the gospel message. And so what it went for me was, okay, um, uh, yeah, you know what I'm going to have to start doing? When my white friends are like there's no racism, I'm going to go, you're wrong, and let's talk about it, and, And I'm going to be mentored by people of color who can help me understand my own privilege and my own blind spots, which is still happening. And for you, and now I'm talking specifically to the majority, for us, maybe we're in the same boat. Maybe we are in a privilege. And we have, like, really good opportunities right now to say, you know what, yeah, racism and the gospel, they they can't be disconnected. They're together. And there's a gospel and race conference coming up. How convenient. (laughs) And maybe we decide to go. Our church is going to hold other conversations that will be uncomfortable. And maybe that's what we do because what we realize is that we are giving something up for the sake of the gospel message. We are giving something up so that peace increases the way that God intends. We're giving up things that make us comfortable, okay? We're not Puritans hitting ourselves in the back and going, I'm in pain for God. No. We're saying, what I'm giving up are the things that make me comfortable. The things that limit my growth, that stop my growth. And I'm getting uncomfortable so that others can be increased for the sake of the gospel message. That's what we're saying. And so I think about our church, and I think about people in our church. I think about Sarah New in our church. She preaches here often. She's going to preach again next month. I'm glad for that. Sarah came to the U.S. from Malaysia. Her parents were missionaries to the U.S. I love that. We definitely need it. Am I right? But Sarah said this, and I actually want to read her words, because I showed her this, and she said, this is what it is for me, and so I want to read her words. Uh, She said, now I want to say this. She said, queer Christians like myself are often told that we should give up our desires and identities and place them in Christ. The trope of giving up your life for Christ has always been used in abusive ways, but what I think is that Christ calls us to give up places of safety and comfort that prevent us from growing further and living into the good news of the gospel. And for me, that's meant deciding to take a risk that's not always, uh, taking risks that means I'm not always a good role model uh, child for my immigrant missionary parents. It means coming out, participating in political protests, uh, such as the lack of heat at MDC, co-founding an organization called Church Clarity that helps thousands of people know where churches stand on LGBT and women in leadership policies. It means very publicly doing things that some would deem dishonorable and embarrassing by my parents, but I do it to give up my old self in order to find new life. It is the way of Jesus Christ. There are Joannas amongst our own church right now. Think about Pierre and Angela, a couple that go to our church. Pierre, uh, he's older. He's in his. He's, I'm not going to say how old he is. Um, <laughs> he was, a, he was a, a, an adult in the 80s, though. And this man has led an incredible life. If he was an adult in the 80s, it means he's what, 36 now? It was funny, right? So me and Pierre's son were talking about Basquiat. How many people know who Basquiat is? A few of us. He's an amazing painter, right? And uh, Pierre Summers is like, yeah, one of his paintings just sold for $4 million. And Pierre really casually goes, Basquiat? Oh yeah, I used to hang out with him. We used to go clubbing together. I was like, what? You used to hang out with like, one of the world's foremost artists? He's like, yeah, and I was a promoter at Studio 54. I was like, what? Dude, this is like New York. Like, You're like New York royalty, man. And here's the thing. When Pierre walks in here, I'm going to tell you something. There are not a lot of second or next generation older Haitian men that go to our church. It's just the truth. And yet Pierre leads our church. He leads it by praying for us. He leads our church. He comes up to me every Sunday, prays for me, says nice job, he encourages me. When I do really bad, he'll just come up and say something like, iron sharpens iron, man. And I'm like, thanks, bro. (laughs) And that's it. But regardless... I think about Pierre, you know, maybe not being comfortable ministering to a lot of younger generation churches or young, a lot of younger generation people, and yet he's here every Sunday doing just that, praying for each and every one of us. And that's Joanna. That's giving something up for the sake of growth in the gospel. And then his wife, Angela, she's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah, yeah, she is. She's, she's all right. And, um, <laughs> and she's got a daughter who's in college. And I think about her often because she goes to all the family small groups. And if you have family and you're here, first of all, congratulations, you made it. And second of all, all of our kids are like two, right? And yet she's there every time at these family small groups because she has wisdom to give to us younger parents. She can tell us what's what. And she can say, yeah, I remember this time. Or yes, it's going to be hard now. Or whatever the case may be. But just know, and she's an encourager and she's a leader. She called me on Monday Ooh, it was awful. She called me on Monday, and she said, um, I, think, I, I, think, I'm, I think we need to pray for Donald Trump. And I said, that's the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and she said, Jonathan, we're an inclusive church. She said, you preach all the time about how sometimes we draw lines in the sand, and when we look at the other side where our enemies are, there stands Jesus with our enemies. And she said, that's how I feel right now. And I was like, fine. Fine. <laughs> And so get ready when Lent comes around, because Lent's the right time to do it. If you don't know what Lent is, it's a time where we mourn. (laughs) We're going to pray. We're going to pray for a lot of things, but our enemies included. Angela's leadership means a ton to me. It means a ton to our church, the way she ministers. us, And she's given up a lot to be at this church. But in her leadership and in her vision, I'm really excited to say that after months of searching, we are... Hiring Angela to be our worship pastor. So that's great news. That's great news. So good. Because she's Joanna. Because she gets it. Give something up for the sake of the gospel. Give something up for the sake of growth. Right? I think that's incredibly important. in Church, I think we have an opportunity. I think that we are at a place where we could say, you know what? The gospel message is so impactful. We can literally change hundreds if not thousands of lives just here in our neighborhood. Right? If we are willing to stop being comfortable, if we're willing to be like Joanna and say, what is it that I can give up? Not so I can pat myself on the back, but so I can increase and advance the kingdom that God asks us to advance. You know, as a church, I think about, you know, we all know that our church is LGBT affirming. And we know we lost people and money because of it. And that's wonderful. I'm glad we did that. But I don't want to rest on that. Resting on that means that we've missed the point entirely. What we do is we move forward and we continue to affirm and continue to tell people about the good news. Because guess what? When you get rid of the rest of the garbage, this really is good news. Jesus is really good as we, as a church, we get to make that impact, assuming we're 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 ready to be uncomfortable. So what is it that we're going to give up? And in giving it up, we're enacting the good news of the kingdom of God. In giving it up, we're the evangelists. In giving it up, we get to stand at an empty tomb and say, death is not the end. Our Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. God, you, you love us so much that you um, tell us to bring peace to this place, and that's a big job. So help us to get uncomfortable. Help us to be like Joanna. Help us to give something up. Help us to give something up so that it, uh, it brings your kingdom here and that kingdom thrives. God, we are thankful for the fact that we are so perfectly and wonderfully made that you would have us do this. Thank you for the grace that comes when we can't. I pray all this in your name. Amen.